Welcome to Lost in the Supermarket, the podcast that goes behind the shelves with a look at the latest grocery trends, the latest health information, and how to make every shopping trip the best it can be. I'm Phil Lempert, and on today's podcast, we look at a fresh perspective on dinner. All industries have experienced change at a breakneck pace throughout the past decade. Digital technologies have changed the way Americans live, how we shop, and how we eat. Food may seem impenetrable to these forces. No matter what, people still need to eat. Today, we speak with Tara Ann Dugan, Director of Consumer and Marketplace Insights at the National Pork Board on food trends, and we will be sharing NPB's new foundational research study executed amongst thousands of consumers, uncovering key usage behaviors, attitudes, and drivers when getting dinner on the table. On today's Lost in the Supermarket, we're going to talk about changing consumer needs. The nine dinner occasions identified in the new Dinner at Home in America research. What contributes to the dinner choices that we Americans make? What shopping habits are leading to those choices? How plant-based has impacted the pork category? And perceptions of pork and meat and what it means for retail. So, Tara, I understand that the National Pork Board has just released some research on consumer eating habits. What's the top line? Sure, Phil. So we were on a lengthy journey really to understand consumer behaviors and shopping habits, especially as it related to getting a meal on the table. So not only did we look to understand when folks were eating at home, but we were also looking to understand when they were eating away from home. And what we found is that at the end of the day, consumers are incredibly busy And getting a meal on the table can be quite difficult. So it's really important that we're looking at the different needs of consumers in order to understand how to make their lives a bit easier. So when you talk about being time-pressed, that it's tough to get a meal on the table, and then you compare eating at home to eating out, do you think because of those factors, we're going to start to see more people eating out because they just don't want to deal with it? You know, it's really funny that you say that because there's so many different choices that consumers have today. When we think about it, there's lots of different ways that someone can get dinner on the table. Right. From going to the grocery store and picking something up for the day or leveraging something that they already have on hand, even going and picking up something that's from the retail prepared department or fast food. So there's lots of choices that are out there, and we're seeing that a lot of different meal occasions are consisting of a multitude of sources that they're garnering their food from. Specifically, when there's a meat on the table, uh, 62% of the time, it was because it was already on hand. Interesting. And was there any impact, and I don't even know if you studied this, was there any impact of meal kits and how that is or is not changing behavior at home? The way that meal kits are showing up in the grocery store today is certainly changing. If we think about how you know, historically they've been from a subscription-based service, we're seeing lots of different iterations of it today. I'm really, really leaning into the fact Mm -hmm. that consumers are seeking convenience. So, for example, if you go to any given grocery store, you might see that there are meats that are prepackaged and they're packaged with uh, vegetables and seasoning so that someone can work to get food on the table a little bit easier. It's a new twist. Yeah, I'm interested in in what you said that I think you said the number is 62% of the meals are based on meat that someone already has at home. Um did you did you look at is it fresh meat, is it frozen meat and and how uh people are planning that meal? I mean, are they thinking about it 
in the morning and taking it out of the freezer, or is it just they come home and they're and they're panicking and they say, okay, let me just see what I got. Yeah, and it's a multitude. So we think about the fact that um, demographics of the country are changing. Uh, the way that people are working is changing, and mm-hmm. it really depends on a day-to-day basis. So in the research that we did, um, we conducted this, this study amongst 10,000 consumers. And wow. really what we were doing was we sought to understand what, what were the attitudes, the needs, the behaviors that existed when they were trying to get dinner on the table, and especially when the meat was involved. So coming out of that, there were nine different need state occasions. And they vary from, you know, a familiar family dinner where someone is leading a busy life and they're relying on their known repertoire of recipes. I'm kind of those easy go-to favorites. And in that particular instance, they're looking for something that's quick prep, family friendly, everyone will like it, and it's already on hand ingredients. So that's quite different than someone who... I always say a Wednesday night for me is a feeding family in a hurry night. My son has soccer, my daughter has piano, and I got to get dinner on the table pretty quickly. So (laughs) that might be a night that I'm I'm having fast food or or dining out. So it's definitely dependent upon the needs that consumers have on a day-to-day basis of how they're making those decisions. So in the news and in the supermarket, you know, we're seeing and hearing a lot about plant-based everything. So my question is, is the meat industry growing or or plant-based foods replacing it? So at the National Pork Board, we're totally supportive of industry growth and innovation. And, you know, we think it's incredibly important to provide consumers a variety of options for the best possible eating experience. Um, but with that said, we also believe that meat from farm-raised pigs is a good protein choice, uh, especially since it's so versatile and accessible and has nutritional benefits. Now, with that said, in addition to the research that I've already mentioned, we also looked across different um, different venues of conversations amongst consumers, so socially conversations that are being had. And what we discovered is that pork remains the most discussed protein at about 30% of share of conversation. Hmm. However, but we've seen that plant-based protein is definitely kicking up in the conversation, um, and it represents about 15% of conversation, which kind of drives down the share the share of meat across all of the different proteins. So, it's um, it's certainly on trend, and it'll it'll be interesting to see how the industry evolves. I'm surprised to hear that that pork, you know, is the number one conversation that's taking place. What are those conversations about? Is it about recipes? Is it about nutrition? Uh, give me a little little bit more in depth to what people are talking about. What we found is that about 97% of households are purchasing pork on an annual basis. And over 75% of that is both fresh and processed pork. Uh, but as you can imagine, bacon is a unicorn of category. And everybody just right, loves it. Right, and it's, right. it's great on top as many different executions. So we do get a lot of conversations around um, the indulgence and flavorfulness of bacon and the satisfaction of eating it. But you hit the nail on the head. A lot of different conversations around different recipes and um, executions of pork from pork chops to tenderloins and even different ways that bacon can be featured. So you mentioned that you discovered nine different dinner occasions. You mentioned mm-hmm. one. Um, what what are the other eight? The way that the dinner occasions actually ended up breaking out was very, very much ingrained by who's actually sitting at the dinner table. 
So there's some occasions that tend to be more solo dining. So these might be convenient eating for one. This is a person who, um, and I should take a step back because the thing with the occasions is that they are exactly, they are not people. They are occasions that people experience. But with the convenient eating for one occasion, this might be a time when a solo diner is really just looking for a meal that's easy to make. Um, they're not necessarily focused on nutrition, um, but they want something that's quick prep and quick to clean up. They want to feed their belly. They want to feed their belly. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Um, you might also have a solo craving occasion. This particular occasion tends to skew towards millennials, um, and they're particularly looking for easy, quick, budget-friendly meals that'll satisfy a craving. So this is all about minimal effort and satisfying craving, and and certainly speed. So you kind of see a trend there. But both of these tend to be amongst younger consumers. Then you start to get into some of the dining occasions that. Um, are larger and they have a couple of people at the table. So perhaps a quick, healthy adult meal. Um, this tends to be an urban or a suburban, excuse women. Um, they want something healthy after work that requires little or no, no prep. So you can imagine, you know, a um, urban professional coming in the door, they drop their bag, they grab the wine, they want to grab something that's easy from out the fridge. And they're looking for something that's fast, but healthy. Um, another instance might be an elevated fridge surfing occasion. And this particular occasion tends to over-index amongst baby boomers. And these are folks who are looking for a fun weeknight dinner. They're not necessarily in a huge hurry to get dinner on the table, but they want something that's tasty. So this is one of those instances where the occasion isn't driven by um, speed. But more so, you know, what do I already have on hand and how can I use these these ingredients to make something that is pretty tasty and fun? So, Tara, before I let you go to to the next one, um, what I'm hearing is that that this research really can help um, both, you know, retail dietitians and supermarket chefs and supermarkets in general. Um, how can they, you know, reach out and get a copy of these nine dinner occasions? Because I could just see as you're describing this, it it really start to reframe how the prepared food section in particular in a supermarket is set up that, you know, if in fact they call out, um, you know, maybe it's not the same words, but, you know, the, the dinner for one that's convenient and feed your belly and here's the products, here's the foods uh, that satisfy that. And then the baby boomers and so on. I mean, this could increase this research could really increase dramatically the the velocity of the prepared foods department. So how can how can RDs and and supermarkets get a hold of this research? Or are you just keeping it for yourself? <laughs> no, by nature by nature of us representing the um, sixty thousand farmers of hog farmers of America, this information is accessible, especially to our retail partners um, and dietitians. So the information is available at www.pork.org backslash marketing, backslash insight. Great. Okay. And we'll give that uh, URL out again later. Uh, so let me continue. But but just as you were talking, I was saying, oh my God, this could, this could revolutionize the prepared food case in a supermarket. So what are, what are some of the other dinner occasions? 
So definitely the prepared food case, but also the fresh, the fresh meat case as well. There's certainly mm. some opportunity. So uh, you think about like the healthy family favorite. So this is a dinner occasion that's predominantly households of four or more. Uh, they live in a suburban or rural area, and it tends to involve teenagers. So as you can imagine, mm. with an occasion like this, this is this incredibly important that there are going to be foods that everyone will happily eat. Uh, folks at this occasion are looking for something that's healthy and hearty. Um, and it can actually be a fun and nice way to celebrate a special occasion. So not necessarily a, a special occasion as, as, as grandiose as, say, a graduation, but maybe straight A's right. on a report card. Um, so we think about or, how this or kicking that goal at, Or kicking that goal at soccer. We're kicking that goal in oh, soccer. Good yeah. job, Shona. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking about the way that this could play out in, in, in retail, um, offering recipes for main dishes and add-ins with healthy, healthy sides as companion ingredients, for example, or even in-store call-outs about leaner cuts. Um, these are ways that retailers can think about um, working their way in to meet the needs of these healthy family favorites. Um, touting the ability to to try something different, uh, because what we found honestly is with this particular occasion, when it comes to the meat behaviors that they have, chicken tends to be a go-to. But there's an opportunity with pork, certainly, um, especially to to try something different outside of the the standard recipes in the repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, and pork definitely plays to that because there are lean cuts, there are cuts that are high in protein. Et so as you're describing these dinner occasions and you're describing the family units, uh, what, what comes to mind is that, and I don't know if the research did this or not, that to look at how different generations, millennials, baby boomers, I mean, the groups that you've mentioned, is there differences in how they consume pork? Yes, actually. So <laughs> we did um, we did look at this, and especially with the sample size as large as we had with 10,000 consumers, we were able to slice yeah. and dice in a lot of different ways. And we did find that specifically with millennials and even Gen Z, because the oldest Gen Z folks are um, about 24 years old now, so they're beginning to make shopping decisions as well. And there are differences in how they're consuming pork, Um, how they're consuming other proteins in some instances, and what their perceptions are of it. And there are certain cuts that are certainly bright spots with millennials and Gen Z. So, for example, bacon is a great great category that millennials love to consume. Um, I am a millennial myself, and I like to say I'm a cereal bruncher. So, you know, I'm I'm always (laughs) on the lookout for different ways that I could have uh, have bacon. Another bright spot with millennials are pepperoni and charcuteries, things that you can see that are on trends in restaurants and um, just dining away from home in general today. Um, Now, what we found in terms of what they do at home is quite different. So uh, millennials have some hesitation as it relates to getting pork on the table. They're not necessarily as comfortable with how to prepare it. And um, it's up to us folks in the retail industry to help them figure it out. You mentioned that about pork. Um, it's the same thing with seafood. Um, and I've talked to a lot of, you know, fishmongers behind the case. And their number one problem is people just don't know how to prepare seafood. So you're sharing the same thing about pork. Why is it that 
difficult. I mean, when I, and forget bacon, bacon is its own animal here. Um, that it's really easy to cook. What, what's the barrier yeah. for people to, to prepare pork? It's not that difficult. Yeah, you're right. It, it's not that difficult. And especially amongst folks who um, do feel comfortable with preparing it, they feel that it's highly flavorful mm-hmm. and incredibly yeah. satisfying. Uh, so, some of it may be due to lack of proper cooking knowledge. So um, National Pork Board has been on a mission to communicate the fact that pork, um, depending on the cut, um, should be cooked to 145 degrees in order to get the maximum taste and satisfaction and juiciness. Um, And this is quite different than what some folks may have grown up having from their boomer parents. Um, so there is that uncertainty where they want to have the great taste and the satisfaction, um, but they also want to make sure that they're cooking it to a safe temperature. So is the problem that people overcook it? There is an overcooking problem with pork. It can it can certainly have an overcooking problem with pork. Um, however, we've seen that there is a um, lot of information that's out there in grocers today that can help consumers alleviate some of those concerns around the proper cooking knowledge. Um, And we're really excited to see recipes being featured on the internet as well that really lean into that um, and assist consumers in their perceptions around its complications. And what I always tell, you know, consumers uh, when they ask me questions about any kind of meat is I say, go introduce yourself to the butcher. You know, the butcher in the supermarket is a wealth of information that you can just say, how should I cook this? I mean, I do that all the time. Um, And and I think that I'm probably a better cook than most, but I'm always asking questions so that I don't screw it up. Absolutely. The butcher, the butcher is certainly a friend. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, Phil, we definitely have a lot of opportunity in the grocery store to kind of evolve the way that we're looking at the meat case. So smaller house size, smaller household sizes can certainly give way to opportunities. Uh, we did a huge study around generational shifts to understand the different buying behaviors of millennials and Gen Z versus boomers and Gen X. And life stage plays a large role in decisions that are being made. So, you know, whether someone has children in the household um, or not certainly plays a role. But with those smaller household sizes, maybe we need to think about the sizes of the cuts that we're offering within the store. Because, uh, you know, even from a from a promotion standpoint, if someone isn't interested in in purchasing a 10-pack of pork chops, for example, because it's too many (laughs) for their household of two or three, then having a buy one, get one, or buy one, get a dollar off is probably not going to appeal to them either. So those pack sizes are certainly something that we should be evaluating from a retail standpoint so that we could evolve with the needs of of the country. What you bring out... um... You know, this past weekend, uh, there was a new restaurant that opened up in my neighborhood. So um, another couple and and we went to try it out. And the other couple is older than than we are. So it was interesting because we ordered the same dish. I ordered the same dish as, as Guy did. And it was funny because I left half of it and brought it home. And he ate the whole thing mm-hmm. and was hungry. 
So, so to your point, you know, uh, because of different generations and different concerns, um, you know, people, people eat differently. That's a, that's an excellent point that these retailers really need to understand that and be offering consumers the right size, uh, for what they are. Let's shift to health a little bit. Um, what, what are some of the misperceptions that you find about the health benefits of pork? So there, there is certainly a lot of information out there, no shortage of information, especially with social media. Yeah. Um, and as we've discussed, consumers are incredibly time starved. So it's, it's pretty amazing how much information we consume in spite of the fact that we're le- leading such busy lives. Um, but even when dining away from home, uh, health, options remain important for consumers across all day parts. So not just at home, but away from home as well. And as a matter of fact, when we look at the numbers, roughly six in 10 diners um, who are having a healthy eating occasion said that they want a food that's reasonably healthy. And about roughly four in 10 say that they want something that fits their diet when dining out. Um, So there are certainly things that we need to be thinking about um, when we're talking away from home, because you have lots of different options on menus, but you also mm-hmm. have people mm-hmm. in the group that you want to avoid having the veto vote. So making restaurants, making sure that they have options that are available for those folks who are looking for a healthy option. Now, um, you know, kind of shifting gears back to what folks are doing when they are at home. It's really funny because when we look at the different motivators for eating, um, taste and ease, tend to trump Mm -hmm. health at times, but it's not to say that health is not important because people want to feel good about the food that they're eating. So for pork, what that means is that we need to make sure that we're boosting awareness of how healthful and flavorful it is by including it in more diet-specific meals, Um, especially when when folks are dining out just to um, have that option that's that's on the menus. But then when dining in, at home, providing different recommendations to consumers on ways that they could have a healthy, balanced diet with pork, touting the fact that it's high in protein, touting the fact that there are lean cuts of pork, making recommendations on what they could be pairing with pork in order to boost its health. So, for example, having a rub with turmeric or having unique and different types of sides that can also go on the grill just right next to the pork. Um, to make it really easy, but also tasty and healthy at the same time. There's lots of options. Gotcha. So one area that we haven't talked about is also in the headlines constantly. Sustainability, transparency, all all of these things, especially with millennials um, and and you know, younger, uh, younger groups, Generation Z and now the Alpha Generation. Transparency is really important. What do you want people to know about the transparency of hog farmers and pork? Yes. Thanks for asking that. So we recognize, um, especially with the different dynamics of how consumers are engaging with brands and the food that they eat today, that it's incredibly for us to um, really tout the work that the farmers are doing in America. And, um, Growing and improving our transparency and communication around responsible production practices are essential both at a local, state, national, and honestly, international level, too. So um, we have principles, excuse me, that are established that really lean into the fact that uh, the industry cares, you know, so 
um, there are certain ways that we are working with our farmers to ensure that we are communicating all of the great work that they're doing out on the farms, um, that the animals are well cared for and happy. I actually recently visited a farm myself and um, the animals were, were incredibly happy. But just continue to be transparent about those sustainable efforts um, and also the positive impact that we're having in order to reduce the, the impact to um, the land, air, and water. So, and, and I'm not just saying it because you're with the pork board, but being in the industry a long time, it appears to me that pig farmers lead the industry um, as it relates to issues and addressing issues um, that going back, um, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, they changed the feed so that the that the pigs would be leaner as they saw that consumers wanted leaner meats. Um, you've led uh, you've led the industry, uh, the, the meat industry, the animal meat. Uh, animal protein industry as it relates to antibiotics mm-hmm. and and really making that really clear what is it about pig farmers uh, that make them so smart that make them so resilient and and open yeah. to change so there is certainly a level of commitment um, amongst pig farmers i've never met another group that is like them to be quite candid. There's so much pride in the fact that they're working to feed America, and I'm certainly proud to represent. Um, so roughly, I'd say about 10 years ago or so, We Care Initiative was launched. And this was an initiative that was proactive and really put in place for us to be able to promote those responsible practices that the farmers are taking. Um So really, there's two core messages at the end of the day. One is that it encourages farmers and employees to understand and consistently use those best practices. Um, But then the secondly, it's also a promise to the public that as an industry, America's pig farmers are committed to being responsible and ethical as it relates to to animal agriculture. We are certainly proud of of the efforts and, um, you know, we just continue to see the the engagement grow from farmers who want to tell their story. So last question, look into your crystal ball. What do you see happening with meat and in particular pork over the next five years? So with meat and particularly pork, uh, I, have to, I have to say I'm a foodie and <laughs> there is no better time um, to be a foodie than today in the culture that we live in. From a retail standpoint, I think that we're going to continue to see that multicultural flavors are going to play a large role. Uh, We know that those flavors and recipes are on the rise. And as a matter of fact, uh, we've seen that about one in three American consumers note that they consume a multicultural flavor a week. Hmm. So these are likely going to continue, especially as we see diverse populations continuing to grow. The need for convenience is not going to change. What is going to change is how we meet those needs. So it's up to us as an industry to continue to think about how we can solve for the fact that consumers are looking for ways to get dinner on the table quickly and easily without compromising the quality or the taste. Tara, thanks so much. You know more about 
you know, park than I ever knew in my life. So thank you for joining us on Lost in the Supermarket. Thanks so much, Phil. Take care.